0: Want to be closer to God in a way that you can actually hear him and feel him? It's a lot of people's questions and prayer requests. How do I be closer to God? Well, there are a lot of misconceptions around it. So we're going to explore the single key to this kind of intimacy with him and what gets in the way of it. This is The Shut Up Devil Show, and I'm Kyle Winkler, author of the book Shut Up Devil, creator of the Shut Up Devil app. I'm all about shutting down the lies and the struggles that keep you from thriving in God's design for your life, and I'm here to do it every single week with a live online audience. I'd love for you to join us all live sometime Thursdays at 8 p.m. central at kylewinkler.org slash live. Well, I was frantic one day when I couldn't find my phone. The thing is, it wasn't my main phone. That was in my hand. It was a phone that I had just sold for hundreds of dollars online. And I needed to deliver it to the buyer that day. So you understand why I was frantic? Now, in case you forgot, this ministry offers a mobile app. It's called the Shut Up Devil app. So it's important that I have the latest phone every year to test on. Plus, I'm a technology guy, too. so. Every year, I sell my old one, and I use the money from that to upgrade to the new one. These days, I usually ship it to somebody, but at that time, the buyer was local, and they're gonna meet me at a public parking
1: lot. But two hours before our meeting, my phone was missing. I was at an office a few miles
0: from my house when I noticed that it was gone. And I thought it was strange because I remembered having the phone in my hands that morning. So I figured I must have left it on my kitchen table. So I drove back a few miles to my house to find it there. But it wasn't there. I searched every room in the house with no success. So I convinced myself, okay, it must really be back at the office. I must have overlooked it or something. That's when
1: three words, yeah, three words popped into my mind. Check the trash. I said, that's paranoia.
0: I dismissed it. I said, no way. I didn't throw it away. I remembered having it in
1: my hand. So I drove back to the office, certain I'd find it in a nook that I overlooked. But nothing. But the time was ticking closer to when I needed to meet that buyer.
0: So I was growing even more frantic than I was just an hour before. And the more insistent that voice also got in my head too. Check the trash, check the trash. But I was
1: more insistent. No way, I didn't throw it away. But eventually I was desperate. Had no other choice. I had to go back home. So after I parked, I headed reluctantly
0: to the garbage bin at the curb, mainly to prove that
1: voice in my head wrong, get it to stop. But when I lifted the lid, atop of several trash
0: bags that reeked of food spoiling in our Florida heat, there was my phone. Now, with the benefit of hindsight, I pieced together everything that happened. It was trash day. Like all of the other trash days, I took the bin to the curb just before I left for the office in the morning. This time, though, I held the bag with my phone in it while I pushed that bin to the curb. And at some point, I must have gotten distracted and placed the bag inside the garbage bin and went on my way without even realizing it. In less than an hour from meeting the buyer, it was a huge relief to find it there. I took the bag inside and literally, I'm not joking with you here, I actually spritzed it with some cologne so that it didn't smell like trash. (laughs) Then I drove away. Not 10 seconds later, I heard the beep, beep, beep of the garbage truck entering my subdivision. And I thanked God when I realized that I found the phone less than 30 minutes before it was gone forever. Now, some will chalk the voice I heard up to my subconscious or paranoia. I did for a while, too.
1: But when I saw that garbage truck, I recognize there's got to be more to this than anything
0: my mind concocted on its own. The timing alone demonstrates a precision that couldn't come from me. A few minutes extra here or there, and I'd have been out at least a few hundred dollars, not a little more. So I'm convinced that the words I heard were actually from the presence of God within me. Not just from my head, but God's presence in me. And that's not just because I want to believe that but because it's exactly what Scripture affirms that God does. Now, growing up in the religious tradition that I did, I hardly knew that God was personal. Now, occasionally I'd read about somebody back in history who had a dream or a vision or something. But I never heard somebody claim that God spoke to them like today. That changed quickly when I attended a charismatic church as a teenager. I mean, then and there, hearing God seemed to be the norm, not the exception. It was common for people's sentences to begin with, God said or God told me. And I was in awe. I mean, I thought, these people must have a direct line to God. They're hearing God all the time. Well, in just a few months, I realized that they did, as does everybody. Though maybe not as sensationally as I thought at first, most didn't hear an audible voice. Not that it's impossible to hear an audible voice, but most heard God like I did on that trash day. They received thoughts or feelings that either aligned with God's word or his character. Now, I'm not naive. Some of what people considered God was probably themselves. That's true for all of us. Nobody discerns the Holy Spirit perfectly. But even still... That doesn't change the truth that God with us and God in us means that people can and do sense his presence in various ways. God created people to have a close and experiential relationship with him. At the beginning, he spoke with Adam and Eve and he walked among them too. Even well after sin, he promised to remain with his people in spirit. He told Israel that he'd never abandon them, He led his people from behind a cloud or spoke to them through smoke, fire, dreams, visions. They sensed him inside of a tabernacle.
1: Now, Jesus changed all of this in a huge way. In addition to ending the buffer
0: between God and people, Jesus promised that people would literally house God's Spirit, that our bodies would become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that some people think that God enters us and then does nothing. At least it seems they think that way, because they think that he really is inactive otherwise today. But what purpose would that suit for him to live in us and then do nothing? I, I can't think of one. And Jesus never implied this either. In my last message, on the real role of the Holy Spirit. We went through how Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would talk to us and lead us and guide us. Like I said, that's rarely audibly. Mostly God speaks through the voice of scripture. He'll speak through other people. He'll impart a random thought into your mind or give you some sense to look there or trust this
1: or remember that. Over the years, I've learned a lot About how God makes his presence known to people.
0: Better than that, though, I've learned his voice and presence in my own life. And I'm still learning, obviously. Those trash days happen more than I care to admit. (laughs) The process of understanding how God communicates is a constant adventure, just as in any human relationship, right? Even after knowing him for decades, you'll find nuances to his voice. You'll also misread and misunderstand him at times, and that's okay. Unlike your spouse, he's not going to scold you for doing so. And unlike any other human, God never needs his own space. He doesn't punish with silence. He doesn't give a silent treatment. He never stops listening for even a moment. God does not get farther away as a reaction to your actions, nor does he get closer in response to your devotion. That's something that took me more than a decade to learn, and maybe that is surprising for you to hear right now. But I ask, and keep this question in your mind throughout the message, how can an omnipresent God who is always with you and in you get any closer to you.
1: Until I learned what I'm about to share. My relationship with God was like riding a roller coaster. And
0: living here in Orlando, Florida, I've learned a lot about roller coasters. All the technical terms. There were these top hat moments. That's what they call it when you like zoom up and go over this thing and then back down. Well, there were these top hat moments when I felt I had ascended to a height that was next to God.
1: But like a coaster, those feelings came down quickly. In the dips, God felt
0: distant and even uninterested. Devotions were dry. Mostly I went through the motions waiting for the upturn. Now trust me, it's not not that I don't feel God more on some days than others. I do.
1: Feelings are fickle like that. They're affected by many factors, like sleep, diet, and the weather.
0: But reflecting on my feelings of God's presence over the years,
1: I especially recognize a factor that's part nature, part nurture.
0: God felt closer when I believed I was a success. He felt distant when I believed I was a disappointment. And that all had to do with how much of a grip that I thought that I had on sin. And, I mean, isn't that what we're taught? Don't we hear sin separates you from God? Isn't that in the Bible? And yeah, it is. Look at Isaiah 59 too, probably the most popular scripture. That's referenced for this. Isaiah, or God speaking through Isaiah, says it's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he goes on to say, God has turned away and will not listen anymore. That all sounds pretty serious
1: to me. And it was. Back then. But we don't live back then. You see,
0: this prophecy was directed to Israel at a time when they felt that God abandoned them. Yes, their sin created a real chasm between God and them in those days. We've been looking at that through the messages over the last month or so. They're in the podcast. But Isaiah's prophecy didn't end with hopelessness. You have to keep reading. And if you go down, some verses, you'll see that separation is not what God desired. You'll read of God's plan to send them a Redeemer to solve the sin problem Himself. Look at Isaiah 59 verse 20. This says it best. The Redeemer will come to Jerusalem to buy back those in Israel who have turned from their sins, says the Lord. Verse 21. Here's the result of that. And this is my covenant Keyword, covenant with them, my spirit will not leave them. Unfortunately, people mistake Isaiah's prophecy as the proof that sin continues to repel God's spirit today, when in truth, the prophecy points to Jesus as God's permanent solution for sin. Now, I'm not saying that sin doesn't have consequences. I'm not advising sin. I'm not being light on sin by saying this. But what I am saying is that God no longer withholds his presence or threatens silence as a punishment for your sin. And that's good news because as a human being, you can't ever completely get all the sin out. I mean, you can change your behavior, and you can change your ways, and you can maybe stop some of the bigger things, but you can't get everything out. And so it's good news that that the Lord's presence is not repelled by any amount of sin anymore, that Jesus became the solution for it. Any teaching that suggests otherwise not only misses the hope of Old Testament prophecy, but worse, it discounts the cross, the torn curtain, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and the promise of God's new covenant completely. Now, the early church faced a problem with people doing this. They mixed God's word to those before
1: Jesus, like this Isaiah prophecy, with his word to those after him. And Paul warned that such a mixed message, ultimately of law and grace,
0: made Jesus' sacrifice of no benefit to the people. In fact, he spells it out to the Galatians. If you look at Galatians 5, I mean, read from the very beginning and you'll see it, but verse 2, for example, he says, If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, and he's using that to mean any law, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. Verse 4, he says, If you're trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you've been cut off from Christ, you've fallen away from grace. If anything comes between God and people, it's the results of a mixed message. That's because, as Paul put it, it puts people back into bondage to fear, which is the opposite of the Holy Spirit's purpose. So this is why Paul, to Timothy, stress to rightly divide the word. You've heard that, right? If you've been in the church for a while, you've heard of the importance of rightly dividing the word. Well, it's as necessary today as it was back then. As you know, Scripture is divided into two main parts, Old and New Testaments. Old Testament's like 70% of the Bible. And broadly speaking, this reflects the covenants between God and people. When I say covenant, I just kind of think of contract in a spiritual sense. It represents an agreement between two parties. The old covenant, which is largely reflected in the Old Testament, was established through Moses as one of law. People's good standing with God depended upon keeping laws and making sacrifices. The new covenant, which was established through Jesus. Is one of grace. And in it, people's good standing with God depends on Jesus's sacrifice. And it's called grace because it's not contingent upon human effort. And I might add, it's not cheap, and it's not greasy. It is a beautiful gift received by anyone who believes in who Jesus is and what he accomplished. Think of your belief like your signature on a contract that is pre-signed by God in his own
1: blood and there's no ink more permanent by the way it's huge enough that we don't have to sacrifice animals but that's hardly the
0: half of what the new covenant is about Hebrews 8:6 describes it as a far better
1: covenant based on better promises and the benefits are huge Forgiveness with no strings attached.
0: Righteousness without requirements and automatic perpetual peace with God. And as it relates this teaching here, look at Ephesians 2.13. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to Him
1: through the blood of Jesus. Hear these again. Forgiveness, righteousness, peace, and the presence of God, all with no effort. That's the new covenant. Now, people back then
0: believed it was too good to be true. That's why they called the gospel a stumbling block. Can't be. It's too easy, they said,
1: compared to what they'd known before. That's why many mix law and grace together. People today, though, haven't really got beyond that it's too easy thing. It's got to
0: be more. So people today mix law and grace together, too.
1: They give you a sprinkle of grace with a whole bunch of do to get. Yet everything God did and continues
0: to do points to grace as the entire answer. God divided his word to point to it. The law and the prophets point forward to it. The New Testament letters point back to it. And today, the words and work of the Holy Spirit continue to testify to it. I mean, look around and see. Anything that God does, whether it's miracles and healings and deliverance or provision and protection, everything that God does for us, is not because of perfection, but it's despite imperfection. That's grace, and this is the incredible outcome of our reconciliation with God. It is life in the new covenant, and it's why how close you feel to God
1: is really all in your mind. Now, let me explain that with a story, with
0: a confession. I once stole a toy from a neighbor's house. I was a kid. I don't remember what it was, just that I slipped the thing into my pocket and then I slipped away to take it to my house and get it in my room where nobody would know. And I kept it in secret from everyone for a whole agonizing week. And the reason that I say that it was agonizing is because I had to be around my parents or my neighbor's parents. Since we all went to the same school, our parents had worked at a carpooling deal. So every morning, every school day morning at like 7.15, I walked the short distance to their house and then waited inside till it was time to leave. So I couldn't get away from them. And while the toy remained stolen, I just couldn't shake the feeling that they knew this horrible thing that I had done and hated me for it.
1: So our relationship was affected for a time, I didn't speak to them unless
0: they spoke to me first. And when they did, my responses were short. Now, except for when I might have faked a stomach ache or something, like I said, I saw them every day. Our proximity never changed. They never changed. The only thing that changed is how I acted around them because of how I feared that they saw me because of what I did. And that lasted a little while even after I returned the toy, even though nobody ever knew until I've told this story. What I experienced is shame and its effect on relationships is a tale as old as time. Shame is what drove Adam and Eve to hide from God. Because of their wrongdoing, they feared how God saw them. But God wasn't angry. Remember that he pursued them, then spoke with them, then provided coverings so that they wouldn't feel shame.
1: All they had to do was receive those coverings. And the shame was removed. Well, the Garden of Eden
0: there, everything that God did there, foreshadowed what he would later provide all by himself through Jesus, which is everything necessary for us to draw near to God and for God to draw near to us.
1: Now, do you recognize what I just said there? Draw near to God and He will draw near to us.
0: It's one of the most quoted verses in the New Testament. Maybe you've been thinking about it the whole time while I've been teaching this message. It's James 4:8. Come close to God, and God will come close to you.
1: But if God is in us and will not leave us, what does this mean? Well, as always, context is key. In the context, you're reading, you know, around this
0: verse, you'll see that James isn't speaking about proximity between God and people. He's not saying that God physically leaves us and gets near to us. I mean, just a few verses earlier, he actually says that God has put his... Spirit in us. So I'll say it again. Nothing is closer than within you. And James understood that. But physical closeness with somebody doesn't equal intimacy with them. Ever been around a couple on the verge of a bitter divorce?
1: They may be next to each other. They may even speak or look at each other. But they don't really see or
0: hear the other. They're distant because their feelings and emotions are in the way of intimacy. This is the kind of thing that James is talking about. He's speaking of intimacy with God, which is on our end and is influenced by our thoughts. God is always wanting to be intimate. The throttle is on our end with our thoughts. So James coming close to God with this in verse 7. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you.
1: Two words in this verse explain everything. First, humility. It's not a negative view of yourself. It's not self-deprecation. It
0: means having an accurate estimate of your worth. Dictionary definition right there, having an accurate estimate of your worth. The gospel provides this estimate, and it's this. God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to the greatest lengths to provide you permanent peace with him. That is the measure of your worth, and it couldn't be higher. In a human relationship, nothing erodes intimacy like distrust or fear, Right.
1: And it's the same with intimacy with God. And the devil knows this, which is why his name, devil,
0: is the second word in that verse that helps us understand what James means here. Now, if you've read my book, Shut Up, Devil, then you know this. I go through this, that devil in Greek means slanderer. As a believer, you can't be separated from God physically. You can't. He's in you. So the enemy attempts to undermine intimacy by telling lies about God's character and yours. Usually his scheme involves how you disappointed God by failing to satisfy some law. And the so-called failure might be as simple as not checking something off of a to-do list. Or it could be as religious as believing that what you ate disrespected your body as God's temple. Sin doesn't have to be involved in this here. Any have-tos are laws, and when have-tos become I didn'ts, people tend to fear that God is disappointed or angry. And this is what affects any sense of closeness with God. And it's what the enemy stands by to instigate as slanderer. So, to grow in intimacy and to maintain intimacy
1: with God, James instructed to resist the devil. But how do you do that? Not by striving to do better, not with more discipline.
0: And not by remaining sin conscious. Definitely not. That actually makes things worse for the reasons that I just went through. No, no. It's it's far more effortless than those religious hamster wheels.
1: You repel the slanderer. You resist the slanderer by remembering who God is and who you are to Him. Call to mind that
0: God is love and he loves you perfectly. In the words of the Apostle John in 1 John 4:18, perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. Now that doesn't mean fear of spiders and heights and public speaking, though knowing that God loves you and being able to trust him I'm sure helps with that but ultimately the truth of God's perfect unfailing love for you banishes the fear that you are bad and God is mad it evicts the slanderer and grounds your relationship with God so no more spiritual roller
1: coaster rides furthermore it removes the mental and emotional barriers on your end to hearing God's voice and sensing His presence. Even regarding things as eternally insignificant as a phone. So here's the takeaway. Remembering God's
0: love for you is the key to feeling as close to Him as He really is. Nothing you do will change his love for you. Nothing you do will increase or decrease his presence with you. He is God with you, God in you, God by your side, and God on your side. Okay, like I said, as a believer, intimacy with God is really all in your mind. That's why the devil goes after your mind the most. He injects thoughts that provoke guilt and shame and fear and insecurity and a host of other things, all in order to erode your connection with God. That's what takes away your power. So much about your relationship with God and how you feel about it comes down to your thinking. That's why I wrote my book. Shut Up Devil, silencing the ten lies behind every battle you face. In the first part of this book, I explore the sneaky way the enemy gets into your mind. And it is sneaky. Then for the rest of the book, I reveal the ten most common thoughts that he uses against you. And then I tell you how to shut them down. Shut Up Devil is available in paperback ebook or audiobook wherever books are sold but i'll send you a signed paperback copy if you order it on my website at kylewinkler.org/shutupdevil that's kylewinkler.org/shutupdevil Okay, that does it for the Shut Up Devil show. Remember, God is good and he is for you and we're here for you too. Every week on my website at kylewinkler.org on our podcast and wherever you get your social media, don't forget, wherever you're watching or listening to tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. See you next time.